This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. hearts will be receptive, that our spiritual eyes will be open, that our spiritual ears will hear what you're saying through your word. We pray, Lord, it will be encouraged and strengthened and challenged. And Lord, as we read these pages, Lord, this is you speaking to us. These are your words. They're not man's words. They're your words. So help us, Lord, to see and to hear and to obey in Christ's name. Amen. So, Exodus chapter 19 is where we are tonight. Uh, Let me say before we begin reading in in Exodus 19, the whole book of Exodus can be easily divided into two distinct sections. First 18 chapters that we have covered uh, really is, I suppose if you wanted to put a title on it, it would be just the Exodus which is the name of the whole book, because that's what it relates to. And then from chapter 19 all the way through to chapter 40 is the giving of the law. And the giving of the law is wide-ranging. Sometimes when we think about the law in the Old Testament, we simply think of the Ten Commandments, but it's much broader than that. Uh, For example, the first, uh, sorry, chapters 19 and 20 uh, really is relating to the moral law. And the moral law, of course, is the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Chapter 21, chapter 24, is the civil law, uh, because now the nation is together, and any nation or community have to have laws to make everything work in harmony. And so God gave Moses many, many laws, particularly when they would come into their own land, Uh, how they would relate to each other just as people and as a community. So there are lots and lots of laws for that. And then from chapter 25 all the way through to chapter 40 is the ceremonial law. And the ceremonial law covered the religious life uh, of the Israelites, not the civil life, but the religious life. And God set down very exact ways in which they could worship him. And that's expounded and amplified more in the book of Leviticus. And if you if you're to read through that portion of the book of Exodus that talks about the ceremonial laws, you would see they talked about the building of the tabernacle and how it was built and materials that was used and uh, how the, the priesthood would be raised up to officiate at that. Sacrifices would be made, feasts would be held, and all kinds of rituals would ensue. And so it was very uh, defined. Uh, it had to be the way that God set the pattern on the mount. Uh, But tonight, uh, I just want to go into chapter 19. God willing, next Sunday, uh, we'll begin to look at the the Ten Commandments. And I said this morning uh, how controversial uh, they are and always have been. But again, they're becoming very controversial in our generation. So let's begin reading then uh, chapter 19, verse 1. In the third month... After the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai, for they had departed from Rephidim and had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. 
Mount Sinai. By the way, they come here for 11 months, so they're going to spend some considerable time here receiving all the instructions and so forth. But if, if we were to, and we're not going to do this, but if we were to do this, and we looked at the dates when they left, when the, when the exodus took place, and, and when they got here to the mountain, it would be exactly 50 days. Uh, and in the Greek, because the Old Testament is translated into Greek, in the Greek, uh, that's Pentecost, the 50th day. Penta is, is a five-pointed star, is a pentagram. Pente is 50, so Pentecost is 50th, 50th day. And so the law was giving, given on the day of Pentecost. Now later on, when they would go into their land and they would become basically farmers, agricultural people and they'd plant their, 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 their vines and, and plant their grapes and plant their olive trees and, and plant their grain and so a lot of the feasts that they did all related to those special times uh, particularly of harvest times and so whenever the grain was planted and whenever it came up a little bit the first fruits of it there was three sections cut and weighed before the Lord and 50 days seven weeks and one day after that was the day of Pentecost. Sometimes it's called the Feast of Weeks in the Old Testament because it's seven weeks in one day. And, and it was a celebration, not just of the law that was given on the day of Pentecost in the Old Testament, but of the harvest, you know, harvest home, harvest has come home, and the rejoicing for that. And so you can see then in the New Testament uh, how the disciples were in the upper room and they were waiting to be endued with power from on high for the promise of the Father that Jesus told them. And what happened on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, then the Holy Spirit fell. And what happened after that? There was a great harvest of precious souls. 3,000 people were saved in one day. And so that's just a side, by the way. But that's exactly what happened. And then it says in verse 3, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called from him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I have did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now that's a, a lovely phrase that God uses. How I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, they say that when the eagle builds its nest, it, it's a rough nest, and it's high up in some craggy cliff or mountain. But it lines its nest with down and with feathers to make it really, really comfy for the little eaglets. And when a little eaglet is born and they're being raised in that little comfy feathered nest and the parent bird is feeding them, it feels safe, it feels secure, every need is provided for it. All it has to do is just sit there and squawk and it's fed and it's watered and it's comfortable and it's safe and secure. But there comes a time when it has to leave that nest. There comes a time when it has to get out and has to learn to fly like an eagle does. But it really doesn't want to get out of that nest because it's so comfy and all its needs are provided. But the parent bird knows it's going to have to get out. And so it gets it out of that nest. And how it does it, it begins to break up the nest. It takes out all those comfy feathers and, and it's thorny and it's, it's rough and it doesn't like it. So it's encouraging it. It's forcing it out of the nest. But of course it has to learn to fly. And so it gets out of the nest and it flaps its wee wings. But if instead of soaring, it begins to drop like a stone, the big eagle swoops in and lifts it up on its wing and saves it. 
and then it takes it a little bit and it drops the wing and it falls down again and it swoops in again and picks it up until those little wings work and it begins to fly for itself. Now, the children of Israel was in Egypt for 400 years. They were there under the patronage of Joseph and that particular pharaoh. And things was wonderful for 320 of those years. Wonderful. They grew from 70 people to 2 million people. And the land of Goshen was very fertile, that section of Egypt they were in. And they were really, really blessed. And they prospered. And their animals did well. And they were well fed and well looked after. And it was wonderful. They were just blessed beyond anything. But that's not where God had for them ultimately. God had a place already chosen for them that he had promised Abraham the land of Canaan. So he's got to get them out of that lovely nest in Goshen that they love so much, that they're blessed so much in, and really they would not want to leave that. But what happens then? A pharaoh who knew not Joseph is raised up. And once that pharaoh who knew not Joseph was raised up, he began to tear that nest apart. And they didn't like it. And, and he was cruel to them. And he beat them. And he made them slave. That's what we have talked about in this past series. And so now they're going to have to get out of that nest in Goshen. And they're going to have to go through the wilderness. They're going to have to learn to fly and to soar with God. Because they were too comfortable there. And so they're going to have to do that. And God often does this even with us. If you look back over the years of your life, sometimes even as believers, we, we have our own comfort zones. And it's wonderful and it's blessed and it's joyable. But God wants to cause us to rise higher and to fly with him more and soar with him. So what does he do? He tears up that nest. So we have to get out onto the wing. But he never lets us fail. He's always there to catch us. If we're struggling, he's there underneath his wings, lifts us up. We see this principle in, in the book of Acts. Because you remember in the book of Acts, how in the death Pentecost how there was 3,000 got saved. And, and then it got to the stage where all of Jerusalem was filled with their doctrine. And it was wonderful. I mean, things was really buzzing, everything was popping, and the things was growing, and the church was just exploding, explosion of growth. It was wonderful, and they had all things common, and it was just tremendous fellowship and camaraderie and blessing. But remember what Jesus said. He shall be witness to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and they thought of most parts of the earth. Well, they were happy in Jerusalem. That's the place to be. That, that was a good place to be. That's, that, they were happy there. Things was going well. But the Lord wanted them to go beyond Jerusalem. And they certainly didn't want to go to Samaria. Those hated Samarians, they didn't want to go to them. And to the uttermost parts of the earth, to the Gentiles, wasn't even in their thinking. It wasn't even in their brain to do that. So God had to move them. He had to get them out. And it says in chapter 8 of Acts about Saul of Tarsus. Now Saul was consenting to his death. That was Stephen, the first martyr. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So here is the nest being torn up. And they're having to get out. They have no other choice. They're having to go, by and large, most of them. And so we find then that uh, Philip goes to Samaria and has a wonderful revival in Samaria. 
uh, tremendous time, lots of people getting saved. It's just marvelous. And then you come into chapter 9 and you find that, that Paul had that great Damascus Road experience and got wonderfully saved and spent three years in the Arabian desert seeking the Lord. And after that, then he exploded onto the scene and he became the, the great missionary apostle to the, to the Gentile nations. And then you come to chapter 10 of the book of Acts, and, and now you've gone roughly between 8 and 10 years since Pentecost, since the church was at Jerusalem. And you have to wait to chapter 10 of the book of Acts, so 8 to 10 years later, till God comes to Peter when he's on the house of Simon the Tanner and shows him that he has to go to the house of Cornelius, that Roman and to go there, which he'd never even ever thought of doing, that would have been terrible for a Jew to do that, but God says, no, you go and you share with them. And as soon as he went there, and as soon as he began to share the gospel, lo and behold, they all got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, and the church then was open to the Gentiles, which what God always intended. But it took the nest at Jerusalem to be broken up for that to happen. And so when he says, I bore you on eagles' wings, he's reminding them, of what he has done for them and where he's trying to take them to. Then he says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for the earth is mine. Hmm. You shall be a special treasure to me above all people. There's something significant and special about the Jewish race. God chose them above all people, not because they in themselves were special. What makes them special is that God chose them above all people because he wanted the nations to see how he, if he was their king, if he was their Lord and King, how he would bless them, how he would deal with them, how he would look after them. And so he did that with Israel as a showcase to the nations around. But unfortunately, Israel didn't play ball. Israel, we know Israel, whenever they had the opportunity, they kept backsliding, they kept messing up, they rebelled against God, they worshipped other gods and so forth. But that was God's plan for them, and still is his plan for them, by the way. And, and what makes them special also, as far as we're concerned, is simply because of this. Because this book here, the Bible, we would not have this in our lap tonight if it hadn't have been for the Jewish people. We wouldn't have had it. It came through them. God gave them the prophets. He inspired them to write. He made covenants with them. In fact, they're the only nation in the face of the earth that God ever made a covenant with, the only one. And he gave them laws, and he gave them precepts, and he gave them a way to worship, and he opened up their eyes to the one true and living God. Nobody else had that, only them. And so we're grateful tonight and that Christianity was birthed out of Judaism, out of the Jewish religion. So we owe them much, by the way. We owe them much even though they have rebelled against God, even though relatively very few of them are following Christ, even though very few of them believe that he is the true Messiah, but we still owe them much. And the Apostle Paul encourages us to bless them. We'll come to that before we finish. Now, you shall be a treasure to me above all people, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Hallelujah. Now, within 
within the community of Israel, within the nation, there was the Levites from whom the priests came from, and they officiated. Uh, and of course, the high priest, Aaron, was a Levite, and all high priests had to be Levites uh, ever since then. And so they were to be priests unto God, to offer up true worship unto God and be an example to the rest of the nation and to minister and bless the nation and help them to worship the one true and living God. Sadly, they failed so many times even in that particular standing that they had before God. But away over there in 1 Peter, uh, Peter is writing actually to the Jews, the Jewish Christians who were scattered abroad and, and they were scattered abroad again for persecution and they were going through very fiery trials and all the rest of it. So he's writing to them and listen to what he says to them. These are Jewish Christians. He said, verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Echoing what God said about them in Exodus. And he sent to now these Jewish Christians. He says, this was your heritage as a people, even as a nation. But you blew that and you missed that. But he says, now that you're born again and you're saved by God's spirit, now you truly can be that holy nation, that royal holy nation, that royal priesthood, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And so, even though that obviously, because he's writing to Jewish Christians, obviously applies to them, but if you will, it can apply to us too, because now spiritually speaking, we are a holy nation of people, the church, we're the ones who have royal blood in our veins, as it were. We're the ones to offer up praise unto God and be an example yeah. to those around us. Hallelujah. So all these things in Exodus, they're, they're for us, they're encouraging us, they're helping us. And he said, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and led before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. But actually they didn't do it. Sadly, they didn't do it. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. Did you notice that? See, sometimes we read these so quickly. That the, I come to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear, that the people may hear when I speak to you. This is the only people on earth as a nation that God audibly spoke to as a whole nation. Never happened before. It's never happened since. So you can see God singled them out for special attention, really trying to get them to to follow him and to love him and to serve him. And he went out of his way to speak to the whole nation. In fact, he does speak to them very loudly, as we'll see in a moment, 
the trumpets blowing and smoke and fire and all the rest of it. And it was so loud and so scary that if you were to read in the next chapter, <laughs> verse 18, now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and the people saw it. They trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to the Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. <laughs> When God thundered, it frightened the life out of them, and it frightened anybody if God was thundering, wouldn't it? And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that, he, that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. So God is speaking to Moses and the whole nation is listening. So Moses told the words of the people so Moses told the words of the people to the Lord verse 10, then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day for on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. So there'll be no marital business going on for three days. Put it that way. They had to wash themselves, they had to be clean. They had to be focused because in three days they're going to have to meet with God. And he wasn't going to let them just come any way they fancied. They couldn't come casually or flippantly. They'd have to come with real thought and seriousness because this is a holy God, a mighty, powerful, awesome God that his voice would even scare them. They weren't even to touch the mountain. They come near, but not to touch it. Weren't allowed to touch it. God has set boundaries. And God was doing something here that you'll see throughout the rest of the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Leviticus, that God had set boundaries on how to worship him. The two key words in the book of Leviticus is <laughs> one one's access and one's holiness. And to access a holy God, God said, you can't access into my presence any way you choose. It will be how I choose. And you better follow the instructions, because if you don't, you're going to be in serious trouble. So he's setting the seal here. He's setting the seal, I should say, here, to make sure they know that you just can't approach me any way you want. I've set boundaries, and you have to obey what I'm doing. And if you don't, you're going to die. That's serious, serious stuff, isn't it? And when it came to pass on the third day in the morning, that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. 
And on Mount Sinai, I was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in, in, in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answer, answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Moses has got up and down this mountain a few times. In fact, he spends 40 days, twice he spends 40 days up this mountain. Eight times in all, he goes up and down this mountain, because God's calling him up, giving him messages to the people, calling him back again. What's their answer? I want to hear up and down, up and down, up and down. Now, a little thing as well, just as an aside for you. This was in the Old Testament. Whenever the God was speaking to Moses on the Mount Sinai was the day of Pentecost. And what happened to the mountain? There was a storm, great wind and fire. What happened to the day of Pentecost? A great mighty wind came into that room where they're sitting and tongues of fire sat upon their head. In the Old Testament, it's as if somebody says God was inaugurating the church in the Old Testament, in the wilderness. But in Acts 2, he's inaugurating the New Testament church in the upper room. That's when it was born. And there was a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire. So there's some similarities. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. So whether priests or people, they had to obey. But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Lord, I've already told them this. I've already said to them, the Lord says, Away! Get down and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through uh, to come up to the mountain to, to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. See, God knew these people were rebellious and disobedient. And he kept saying again and again and again to make sure they absolutely knew not to do this because the consequences were going to be great. And so God set boundaries. And if you were to read through the book of Leviticus, and you were to read about the tabernacle in the wilderness, you'd see there was boundaries set. <coughs> Not just anybody could walk into the tabernacle in the wilderness. It had to be the Levites. And only the high priest could go into the holiest of holies. None of the rest of the priests could do that, only him, because there was a boundary set. There was a veil that nobody could go through except the high priest, and only one day a year could he do that in the Day of Atonement. That was the only day he could do it. And if you go to the temple, and even in the New Testament, you'll see that there was the, the court of the woman, there was a court of the Gentiles, there was a court of the men of Israel, there was a court of the priests, and there was walls between these courts, and there were signs on them saying, you cannot go any further. The Gentiles could not even go into the court of the woman. They couldn't do it. Because there were signs there. There was barriers. God always had barriers around him in the Old Testament. So it was a very prescribed way to worship. And it was very detailed. And it had to be followed strictly. Otherwise, there was great consequences. 
You say, David, well, all that's interesting and it's all true, I know that, but <clears throat> it's all Old Testament. And whenever we come into the New Testament, there's such freedom, and there is, and it's wonderful, and it is. And all of that stuff that you just told us, that was, that's, that was all Old Testament stuff. But surely that didn't happen in New Testament, things like that. Really? Hmm, let's see then. Well, let me, let me before you take it to, to the New Testament, let me, let me tell you about, about Aaron's two sons. In Leviticus chapter 10, Aaron's two sons, who should have known better, they offered what God called strange fire upon the altar. Because even what was to be offered on the altar, even the very anointing oil had to be made in a special way. But when they offered this strange fire upon the altar, God struck them dead right at the very altar. And he said to Aaron, you're not to mourn them. You're not to mourn them. I warned, I said, I told, and they didn't obey. Instant justice, gone. And then, when you go into 1 Samuel or 1 Chronicles 2, which tells the same story, you remember how the, the ark had been stolen. And then they discovered where it was, and there came a point where they wanted to bring the ark back to their home. And how they went to the house of uh, Abinadab, and they got the ark, and they put it on a new cart. And they were bringing the cart, and they were dancing, and they were praising God, and they had tambourines, and they had lyres, and all of that there. It was a great party they were having, because the ark was coming back. And they got to a threshing floor, and the ground was a bit shaky, and, they, and, they, and the cart began to move. And Uzzah put out his hand to steady the ark, and God smote him dead. And David was afraid. The Bible says David was fearful. He was absolutely afraid, and he was a bit angry. How, how are we going to bring the ark back? Can't even touch it. But if you read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Chronicles 15, you read there, you'll see that, that he must have read how to do it. And it was never to be on a cart. It was always to be carried on the shoulders of the Levites. Always. And so that's what they did. And so they went back again, and they got the ark this time, they put it onto the shoulders of Levite, and they brought it back home, truly worshipping and rejoicing, and nobody was struck dead. So, Old Testament. Come with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 5, I should say. Well, maybe we'll few verses of Acts 4 into verse chapter 5. Acts 4, 32. Now the multitude of those who believe were of one heart and one soul, neither did anyone say that of any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, laid them at the apostles' feet, and they were distributed to each one as everyone had need. 
And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So that was what everybody was doing because there were thousands now getting saved and so they wanted to make sure everybody had enough to eat and to live by. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and he kept back part of the proceeds his wife also being aware of it. And he brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So they sold the land for so much and pretended they were going to give it all, but they kept back part of the price. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not at your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. If you had a common sense, look, I've sold this for so much. I'm keeping so much. I'm going to give you the rest. No problem. But they didn't do that. Then Ananias, hearing these words, he fell down and breathed his last. He died on the spot. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. That was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered, tell me whether you sold the land for much. And she says, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young man came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard those things. Wow. Whew. What? This is the New Testament church. This is not Leviticus. This is not in the wilderness. This is the New Testament church. We don't hear things happening that today. But then we don't have the same power today as part of the problem. Sure we don't. We'll have to admit that. We're not in the same league as the New Testament church was. When people lied to the Holy Ghost, they fell down dead. No wonder the church was full of fear. A real fear. Real fear. I bet you, I bet you there was a lot of repentance going on that day. <laughs> Huh? And I bet you, if we had been part of the church that day, we had been on our knees, searching our hearts, saying, Lord, I hope I, I, hope I haven't lied in any way. Dangerous business to fall into the hands of a living God. In Acts 13, this is relating to Paul and Barnabas. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. And when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. And this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Enemas the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. 
Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and says, O oh, full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell upon him, and he went about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Whew. That's scary stuff, isn't it? You don't hear much of that going on today. God is a holy, awesome God. Amen. And thank God he doesn't judge instantly all the time. Well, let me tell you, we have been in serious trouble if he did, if he did. Thank God his mercy triumphs over his judgment for the most part. Thank you, Lord. But I think there can be a line that people can cross with God. I think there can be a line that people can cross. And it can become a very dangerous thing to do, to test God. And so you see this throughout the whole Bible, you see this. But... Jesus comes to make a way for us to approach a holy God. To make a way for us that we can come into his presence. To make a way for us that we can boldly, confidently come into God's presence. Not flippantly, not carelessly, reverently, humbly, but with confidence. And the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So what a wonderful thing for God to allow us, with all of our faults, all of our failings, with all of our weaknesses, with all of our blunders and foul-ups and mess-ups, that he still will allow us, a holy, awesome God, will allow us to come to his throne of grace and find mercy and help in time of need. All of that is possible because of what Jesus has done for us. He is our great high priest. He's the one. Do you remember whenever he died on that cross? you remember what happened in the temple? That that veil that only the high priest could go through once a year, it was rent in two from top to bottom, signifying his body being rent and the way into God's presence was now open for every one of us who accepted his son as our savior, then we can go into God's presence. Not flippantly, not carelessly, not nonchalantly, but with thought, serious thought, and with humility that we're going before a holy God. A friend of mine who's a pastor told me about an old friend in his church years ago. He's dead now. And he says, he told me one day, he says, son, he was old, he was about 90. And we're talking about prayer. And he says, this dear old saint said to me, he says, son, I never go to prayer unless I shave first. 
He says, I always shave before I go and pray. He says, I want to look right when I'm in the presence of God. <laughs> now, and I, and I'm not saying that, that that's what we should do, but his, for him, he felt, I, I'm going before the king of kings here. And, and if I was going before the king of England or the queen of England, I, I, I would, you know, I remember Paul McCartney getting one of those gongs. Remember that a while back? And he goes in with a suit and tie on, and I look down, and he's got his trainers on. But that, that was a wee bit, you know, well, I don't care if it's the Queen of England, I'm just going to wear my trainers anyway. That was a wee bit, you know. And I thought, how disrespectful. How disrespectful can you be? You know what I mean? But a holy God welcomes us to come into his holy presence. And we can do that only, only because we're saved by the blood of Jesus. <laughs> We couldn't do it any other way, but thank God that Jesus saved us, opened that door for us, that we can go right into God's holy presence. And what a wonderful Lord he is, amen? In Hebrews chapter uh, 10, verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Thank God. And so... In Exodus and in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and all the way through the Old Testament, where there was the tabernacle and then where there was the temple, that people had to go the way that God prescribed for them to go and no other way. If they were going to go to the tabernacle, they're going to go to the temple, they'd have to do it right. But we, we, in this age of grace, thank God. We don't have to go through all of those rituals and all of those cleansings and all of that rites. We can now just come as children of God into his holy presence and on our knees or bowed before him, whatever way we do it, and say, we thank you, Lord God, that we have come to you because of your son, because your son made this way for us to come in. This holy way has been opened for us to come into your presence. And so thank God, amen, for the Lord Jesus Christ who has made that way for us to come. Now, God willing, next Sunday, now we're going to start and look at the Ten Commandments. There are those who say they no longer apply. It's the law, and it's over. We're under grace. All we should do is just look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and try to live that out. And let's not get into bondage over that law. But, wait a minute. What about this moral law? Does that not count anymore? You say, but did Jesus not put all those ten into two? Yes, he did, but we're going to talk about that too. So, it's controversial. People are arguing over this. And so we need to look at this. You know, these ten, this ten words is called the Decalogue. This has been the bedrock for millennia, for nations that are good and righteous and are fair and just. 
This is where they got it. And today, they're trying to tear these Ten Commandments off walls, off courts, and off schools, and outside, on plaques. <coughs> no wonder the nations are in the state they're in today. Amen? Let's, let's just pray. The team's just going to come up and just... And you're going to sing it maybe just, just twice. All right? Whatever you're going to play, just a couple of times, and then we're dismissed. Lord, we thank you that you have made a, a wonderful way for us to come into the holy presence of God. And we thank you, Lord, that that's a gift to us, your gift to us. Because, Lord, as sinners, we could not come to a holy God except you saved us and you washed our sins away. And so we give you thanks for that tonight. We bless you for who you are and for all that you have done for us. We bless you. And we thank you that all this that we've been reading over these past few weeks, Lord, has been types and shadows of that which was to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that so much has been fulfilled in Christ tonight. And we bless you that we are in Christ. Our lives are hid with God in Christ. And we thank you for that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.